What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 264 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates. Excited to be back with you folks this week. I know the last couple weeks have been a little uneven with uh, no Guest Friday, but the good news is Guest Friday will be back. Uh, should be back this week. Feeling pretty confident about this. So uh, should be back this week. Uh, John Veneziano's coming back. Uh, we're talking some revs. Revs are, uh, I think there's an all-star break and there's another competition coming up, a non-MLS competition. So seemed like a good time for us to uh, talk some revs. We also uh, attended the uh, Revs DC United game on Saturday this past weekend. So talk a little bit about that as well. Revs made a trade as well. We'll also briefly uh, talk about that as well. So we'll look forward to that uh, for Guest Friday this week. Um, but I think we're going to get right into it. I don't really think any reason to beat around the bush. I think we're going to get right into it uh, with the Red Sox. So, you know, as we talked about last week, uh, this is a team that went into the All-Star break winning eight of nine. Um, you know, I think for the first time, looking like they maybe had put some stuff together with, you know, eight of nine, five of six against Texas and Oakland um, at Fenway, and, you know, looking like they had built some momentum. Well, the good news is that momentum has continued through the All-Star break. Red Sox have won three of four since coming back from the break last week. In Chicago, Red Sox taking two out of three against the Cubs and then taking the first game of a three-game set in Oakland last night. Nick Pavetta, unbelievable in relief, set a Red Sox record for uh, strikeouts by a relief pitcher. Red Sox had uh, Brandon Bernardino open uh, last night's game. And Nick Pavetta, six innings, uh, actually did not give up a hit. 13 strikeouts, two walks. Uh, was unhittable in this game. So... Red Sox win 7-0, no home runs in this game, but uh, some big hits. Connor Wong with three RBIs, a couple RBIs for uh, Duvall and Turner on sacrifice flies. So, you know, I think one of the things that I was concerned about with this team was how are they going to come out of the All-Star break? You know, I almost felt like it was too bad that the All-Star break came when it did, you know, with this team playing great baseball, you know, and I think I was concerned, okay, how do they come back? How do they come back with a road series in Chicago? And, you know, boy, did they answer in that Friday game with the six home runs, you know, yes, losing in that Saturday game, James Paxton, I think for the first time all season, didn't have a good start, you know, which is kind of bound to happen. But then Sunday, they come back, Yoshida with a grand slam, and a number of uh, big hits in that game. So I think that this team has been able to keep that momentum over the All-Star break and be able to come back into the second half with that same sense of urgency. And, you know, you can see it reflected in the standings. The Red Sox are in fourth uh, for the first time in a while, you know, a game ahead of the Yankees, just two and a half back of Toronto for third place. They're a game and a half back 
of that final wild card that the Astros hold uh, currently. But I think that, you know, this has been a team that I think for the majority of the season, we don't really know what this team is. And I think whether it was the offense being inconsistent at times, really having no idea what you had in the pitching rotation, and honestly, maybe you still don't with, you know, two open rotation spots, basically. Uh, because really, at the, at, the, at the moment, you're only using Bayo, uh, Paxton, and Cutter Crawford. And to their credit, they've been excellent. You know, I think the kind of amazing thing with this team is, despite all the injuries in the rotation, they've actually stayed afloat and they've actually been a very good team. You know, they're 11-2 and two since June 30th. That's the best record in baseball. Yes, it's a very small sample size, but, you know, again, the opportunity is really there for this team. And I know that I've probably said that a couple times this season, but the chance is really right in front of them, and they're taking full advantage. You know, 11 out of 13, a couple games left against Oakland. You have a three-game set against the Mets this weekend at Fenway. Red Sox take four of those games, even three of those games. I think they're in really good shape. So I think that at the moment, it may still be unclear about this team in terms of wanting to make a postseason push, you know, and making a large addition at the trade deadline. Um, I still think there's a little work to be done because I kind of want to see how this, you know, nine game stretch post-All-Star break turns out that, again, I think as I said, prior to the All-Star break or during the All-Star break, if you win six or seven of these next nine, you're in really good shape. And, you know, at the moment, they've won three out of four, you know, about halfway there with five games to go. So, you know, it's, and I was thinking about this this morning that the Red Sox honestly do if I'm not mistaken, the Red Sox have a very good record this season against either playoff teams or like teams that are over 500. And the issue with them winning games this year has not been, you know, the the issue has not been beating teams that are very good. I think that the issue has been you've not been able to beat teams that are, you know, worse than you, you know, below 500. And, you know, I think it's just fascinating that when they've played against quality opponents, they've actually held their own and they've actually been pretty decent, you know, but the problem is they've not been able to put away bad teams. And you would hope that if they can do that, and the record kind of evens out a little bit, you know, they can really be a team that could be a potential problem, you know, down the stretch. But I think, you know, an approach to the trade deadline is going to be interesting because I think when you look at the guys who have performed recently, you want to keep most of the guys together. You know, I think you really look at the roster and, Maybe there are a couple of guys you could move, but I think you think about the guys that have been hitting and the guys who have been playing really well lately. You know, Devers, Turner, Yoshida, Casas, 
Jaron Duran, you know, all these guys that, you know, obviously you're probably not going to look to trade these guys. But I think with Trevor Story returning soon, you know, we're not sure when that's going to be. Um, it, I think that at a certain point, there may be two, there may not be enough roster spots. And so I think just kind of the, just with the return of Story, and maybe with the return of some starting pitchers, you know, adding to this team may not be that difficult. You know, that I think if the Red Sox want to, you know, I think there was a report from Rob Bradford from WEI that the Red Sox would be interested in adding kind of a middle of the rotation guy and maybe a, another reliever, which I don't think are either things that are going to break the bank. Not things that, okay, you need to trade, you know, a top prospect to bring in someone that's going to be an impact player. You know, I think that you've had some really good impact players showing up recently with Yoshida and Duran specifically. You know, they've been outstanding. You know, I think Casas continues to be excellent since he had bad first month. You know, Turner continues to drive in runs. And I think, to be perfectly honest, I think that if this offense can add story, I don't really know if they need upgrades in this lineup at the trade deadline because I think the majority of the guys in the lineup have performed at times when you needed it. You know, I think realistically you think about an outfield most nights of Duran, Yoshida, and Verdugo, an infield of Devers, Story, Casas, and then whoever at second base with Connor Wong, who's come up with some big hits recently. You know, there's really not a whole lot of holes in that lineup. And so I think really the starting pitching is kind of what they need to fortify, you know, I think because hard to know when you're going to get Whitlock, Sale, and Hauk back, you know, so could be kind of just something interesting to watch. But this team's been fun to watch recently, and I think someone like Duran is a guy that, you know, whenever he's in the lineup, it's appointment television because just the way that he hustles and really just is never satisfied is just so much fun to watch. You know, you watch so many times he'll get singles that he can turn into doubles with his speed and wreaks havoc on the opposing team's defense. And I think maybe this is thinking way too far ahead, but this is a team that if they get to the postseason, Duran's a guy that really could be a problem for opposing defenses just the way that he makes people nervous with his speed you know nothing was more obvious than I want to say it was that last game before the all-star break against Oakland and I think we talked about it but he reaches first on an error the shortstop just nonchalant goes to pick up the ball Duran sprinting for second base and gets in there and it's just like He's a guy that you have to be aware of where he is at all times. And I think it's only a good thing if he can play way more. And I think if it has to come at the expense of Adam Duvall, possibly, that's fine with me because I think you want to give Duran as much time as he can to continue to develop and continue to 
you know, possibly be kind of an everyday player. Um, and so Duvall's someone that I think the Red Sox could move. Sure, has he been helpful at times with this offense? Absolutely. But I think it may just make more sense to to move him so that Duran can get more at-bats. And, you know, Ref Snyder's been really good against lefties, so it's not like, you know, Duran would be playing every single game. Um, but I think, you know, moving Duvall is something the Red Sox could think about. You know, him with an expiring contract that's, not very cheap. It could be pretty, you know, tempting to a more of a contending team, let's say in the National League where he's played most of his career. You know, could the Red Sox flip him for a, a back-end starter? You know, Kike Hernandez, I think, is someone that could also get moved. Um, you know, I think just his general versatility could be useful on another team, but with his inconsistencies at the plate and in the field, I don't really know if he generates a lot of value. So I just don't know where he fits, to be perfectly honest, because I think if Story's coming back, he's your starting shortstop. And then second base is, you know, a combination of Yu Chang or Christian Arroyo, possibly Kike. But then in, you know, the outfield, you're having Duran or Duvall or Ref Snyder play. And so it's just like, it may just be that the Red Sox can't keep him around. Maybe they don't even trade him. Maybe they, maybe they, you know, flat out release him. That wouldn't really surprise me. Um, but I think this team continues to be in a good spot. And you hope that these next five, they can continue to keep, you know, the good times rolling and they can continue to, you know, be in a playoff spot or be close to one. Um, but I think... It's going to be difficult, I think, even with the team playing as well as they are. There's still a game and a half out back of Houston. And I think, you know, yes, the Yankees have been playing very poorly recently. I don't know if that lasts. Um, and so the Red Sox, you know, really all these games are very important. So I think how they do over these next five may determine what they how they approach the trade deadline. But I think that this is a team that doesn't necessarily need to like go all in to compete. You know, where it's like I think that there can be some nuance here other than just straight buyers or straight sellers. Like I think that it is possible that you can straddle the line and do a little bit of both. You know, do you add a starter to your team? Do you see if you can move Duvall, get some value? Like, I don't think it's that crazy that they could theoretically do both, not sacrifice their future, but be able to add enough to this team that they continue to play well. You see what they can do. Maybe they grab a playoff spot. This is not a team that, you know, as much as they've been fun to watch and as much as maybe we think they can contend in the fall, I don't think the Red Sox need to approach this trade deadline like they're a championship team. Because if that was the case, then they would say, you know, F the farm system. We're going to go try to win. I don't think that that's what they're trying to do right now. And with the way that some of these young players, both in the Red Sox um, or at the major league level or 
you know, the AAA, AA level with all these young guys playing well doesn't really make sense to move any of these guys. And I think you could still make decent enough additions to this team without sacrificing some of that youth. And then that way, you know, you can see what you can do if it doesn't work out and you miss the postseason. Well, at least you kind of have a better idea with what some of these young guys are. And if you do make the playoffs, well, then that's great. You know, I do think that they're in a good spot, but I do think it is possible that they could subtract from this team, but also add to this team. So they could do both. I do think it's possible. I think if this team is going to try to contend, there is a way that you can you can add to the team without having to give away a valuable prospect or a valuable asset. Um, so will be interesting to see how they finish the rest of this stretch against bad teams. Uh, so they finish the series against um, Oakland with two games tonight and then tomorrow afternoon. There's not been a starter named for tonight, so there probably will be an opener for this game. The Red Sox will return home to play a three-game set against the Mets, and then they will play host to the Atlanta Braves. So the schedule will start to get a little bit more challenging. Uh, they have a road series in San Francisco at the end of the month, um, and then Seattle into the trade deadline. So hoping to have a Red Sox guest back on at some point to uh, kind of give you a trade deadline preview, if you will, um, and see what this team might be trying to add. Um, but I do think, you know, again, do I think that this is a World Series championship caliber team? Not necessarily, but I do think that this is a team that if they're good enough to get into the playoffs, anything can happen. You never know what can happen in the baseball postseason. It's a lot like hockey, where it's like, it's such a tiny sample size, particularly in baseball, that literally anything can happen. So I do think that this is a team that could be competitive, but I don't think that they need to like go all the way in, so to speak, to try to you know, win a World Series. I think that you can try to remain competitive. So I think we're going to move on, jump on to uh, some Patriots stuff. Uh, but before that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Going to get into some Patriots. Um, obviously, the big news uh, over the weekend, DeAndre Hopkins uh, electing to sign with the Titans as opposed to the Patriots. You know, the two teams uh, were, I think, really the only teams that were, um, you know, interested in his services. So, um, you know, obviously, I think frustrating on some level. You know, I think a lot of us that were really, you know, excited about the prospect of um, Hopkins coming to the Patriots and, you know, adding to their stable of pass catchers, you know, and bringing in a player that could help get more out of Mac Jones. Um, but I just will say, you know, my opinions on the matter, I kind of feel like I've made it known where, you know, yes, would he be a great addition? Absolutely. You know, I really 
didn't think that there were any negatives really about bringing him in, you know, and I think the money, the contract is going to be what it's going to be. Um, but I think that the Patriots are going to be okay without him. Um, and I think that because you now have an experienced offensive coordinator that's, you know, at least familiar with the quarterback, maybe obviously didn't exactly work together, but they're familiar with each other. And I think just having stability at that position is really going to be huge for this team. And I think, yes, adding as many proven pass catchers as you can is absolutely legitimate to help improve the offense that, you know, really couldn't move the ball very effectively last year. Um, but I do think now with an experienced coordinator, with someone that's going to be able to, you know, throw wrinkles into their offensive system, that I don't know if it necessarily is a huge, like, must that they needed Hopkins to be able to get more out of Mac Jones. I think with the addition of Smith-Schuster, um, I think hopefully with the, you know, improvement of Tyquan Thornton, you know, along with Bourne and along with Parker and any other guys that, you know, maybe impress in training camp, whether it's one of the rookies or whoever, um, it's hard not to feel good about the group that they have. Um, I also think Kasiki is a good addition as well um, because I think his athletic ability allows him to be lined up in a lot of different places, you know, and I basically could act as another wide receiver. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of it gets lost where it's like, it's kind of hard to explain. I think just in terms of the money, like I think, could the Patriots have signed Hawkins to that? I think so. You know, perhaps were they offering less? I guess it's possible, but I do think that the Patriots have faith in the guys that they have and the, the system that they're going to implement that I feel like they'll be able to operate pretty well. I don't want to say regardless of who they have, but I think with, with offenses in the NFL, I think as long as you are protecting the football, you know, not turning it over and you're efficient in the red zone, you know, scoring touchdowns more often than you're kicking field goals, you're going to be pretty successful. And I think having the athletic ability of someone like Kasiki down in the red zone um, is going to help this offense. And I think this was not a team that really struggled between the 20s last year. You know, if you think about, yes, they struggled in the red zone, but, you know, before that area, the Patriots really didn't have too much problem moving the ball. You know, I think with Parker, whenever he was healthy, being able to stretch the field with Ramondre Stevenson, his ability to be able to pick up extra yards. Like, I think as long as they're improved in the red zone and there's fewer miscommunications, they're a little more connected that they'll be fine. And I think the addition of Hopkins, I don't know if it really would have drastically changed their outlook that I think with or without him, I think they're like a fringe playoff team, like one of those wild card teams. 
I don't know if bringing him in really makes that much of a difference. Um, and so I think that maybe that's where the Patriots thought, okay, if he's really not going to be this much of a different difference maker, does it really make sense to pay him like the Titans did? And maybe that's, maybe it's not worth it. Um, I do think that the offense will be better with yards after the catch and will be able to be a little bit more dynamic. I just think that for whatever reason, people are remembering the offense as what the offense was last year. And they think, okay, it's the same group of players. You're not that much better. And I kind of would vehemently disagree because I do think that the personnel they have is better. And I think they're going to be more organized. There's more, there's more experience with the offensive coaching. And you have guys where it's like, okay, this is what they specialize in. This is what Bill O'Brien specializes in is the offensive side. And I think it almost, you know, and I talked about this last week, that kind of doesn't matter who the receivers are. If you can't protect a quarterback from the offensive line, it really doesn't matter. And so I think that's kind of where it's like people say, oh, the Patriots don't have any wide receiver talent or whatever people are going to say these days. But it's like it doesn't really matter who the receivers are if you can't protect the quarterback. And I think that's where the offensive line is the biggest, most important part of the offense this year. It's really not. Bill O'Brien, it's really not the receivers or whoever, it's the offensive line. And if they can protect Mac Jones, give him time, I think that they're going to be fine. And so I think if people can go into whatever they want to go into with Hopkins and, you know, Bill Belichick not willing to meet his price, oh, they really wanted him, why did they have him in for a visit, and then lose out to him, well, it's just, I think at the end of the day, there was a player the Patriots had interest in but I don't think it was interest to the point where it's like, okay, we have to have this guy on the team. Were they interested in bringing him in? Absolutely. But I think it's not just as simple as you're very interested, you brought him in for a visit, why didn't you sign him? I don't know if it's that simple because at the end of the day, it's Hopkins' choice to choose what team he wants to play for. You know, the Patriots, I think, had whatever offer that they had, he chose to go a different direction. And it's just like, I don't really know if there's much you can do there. But regardless of this situation, I still think they're going to be fine offensively. Um, that I think they're going to be able to get more out of the quarterback position. They're not going to be turning in these three-and-out drives or drives with turnovers. They're going to be able to convert in the red zone. And I think it's going to you know, help them in the early going of the season. Early going of the season is going to be tough. You have four games against fairly solid opponents. You know, you have three playoff teams and then a team that, you know, some people's opinion had the best offseason, but we'll see. Um, but I think this is a team that's going to be a lot better than people think. Um, I think defensively they're going to be really good again. I don't really see much of an issue on this team. You know, perhaps if Gonzalez maybe doesn't translate quickly to the NFL and the Patriots are shorthanded, you know, depending on what happens with uh, Jack Jones's legal situation, could they be a little bit shorthanded 
in the secondary, that's possible. But I think defensive line, safety position, they're really, you know, linebackers think they're in a really good spot defensively. Um, I just think, again, losing Hopkins is not, losing out on Hopkins is not the end of the world. I still think they're going to be okay. And, you know, you can have your own opinions for the Patriots being cheap or whatever the heck you want to say, but I think that it tells me that they're confident in the group that they have um, and confident that they're going to be able to get a healthier Parker, you know, a healthier Smith-Schuster who is coming off of a knee injury from the postseason last year um, and, you know, confident in Thornton's ability to kind of build off of last season. So I think Thornton might have a pretty big jump curious about where Kendrick Bourne fits in also curious about where the rookie receivers fit in you know Booty and Douglas um, and whoever else might impress in training camp I know that there's a thought that the Patriots could still be in on Dalvin Cook I think that that you know would be a worthwhile addition you know giving the Patriots another dynamic running back I think it would you know help help with the offensive line you know to have to really good dynamic running backs that can do anything, you know, and kind of maybe take pressure off of someone like Mac Jones to be able to get to the outside on runs, be able to, you know, get the ball dumped off to them. Um, you know, Cook's an option, Zeke Elliott's an option, Leonard Fournette, I think in my opinion, is also an option too. So I think something you'd pay attention to um, before we get training camp started don't know if the Patriots, you know, make a type of move before training camp or perhaps even during training camp. I think I'm, I think if the young backs in Kevin Harris and Strong maybe don't have a good start to the camp, maybe the Patriots get desperate and feel like they want to sign a Dalvin Cook or a Fournette or a Zeke Elliott, whoever it is. But training camp's next week. Wednesday is the first date, so that's going to be uh, very exciting uh, to see this team get onto the field um, and then get ready for uh, preseason, which starts in August. Actually, I should take a look at their preseason schedule. August 10th, their first preseason game, they host the Houston Texans. Um, so yes, training camp next week. I think next Wednesday is the first date. It is open to the public, so veterans, rookies will report in the next couple of days. So it's an exciting Exciting time. Football season is uh, just about here. So I think we're going to move on, talk briefly a little bit about the Celtics Summer League came to an end this past week. I think overall, pretty impressive showing from Jordan Walsh. You know, I think shot nearly 50% shooting his threes um, in Summer League, which I think was a little bit of a concern. Him coming out of college where he had only made 27, 28%. So don't expect 50% to be what he's going to shoot from three, you know, the entire season. But I think it's encouraging, um, the Celtics encouraging him to be looking more for offense. You know, whether it's shooting, whether it's driving to the basket, he's very lanky, really has an ability to kind of contort his body in a way where he can make shots at the basket. So I think for me, his offensive game is what I'm most curious to watch, you know, preseason, regular season, whatever he can do, because I think 
He is starting at a really good place defensively, has really good length, has really good just kind of aggressiveness and a nose for the ball. And I think that type of defense, that type of hard-nosed defense, is something that I think people are maybe concerned the Celtics have missed or are losing, at least with losing Smart and Grant Williams. But I think Walsh is a guy that could really step in and, you know, makes make some of us forget about Marcus Smart. Now we're not really going to forget about him in that sense, but I think make kind of the loss a little bit easier um, just with his, the, the presence that he brings on the basketball court. And I think he's going to be a good fit. You know, curious to see what type of role he's going to be in, what his minutes look like. Um, I think the preseason will be a great opportunity uh, for him and J.D. Davis and to get some run. You know, Davison, I think, kind of uneven in summer league is a guy that I think is still developing and learning the NBA game, can be a high turnover guy. But I think when he's making good decisions, getting out and running, you know, he's a pretty decent basketball player with great athleticism. So curious about his progression this year. Is on another two-way deal. And so I think... You know, for the Celtics the rest of the summer, I think it's, you know, figuring out that Jalen Brown extension. Um, I think that the both the Celtics and Jalen are pretty optimistic that they'll be able to get a contract done. You know, and I think then it's about maximizing, you know, your 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 top three guys, you know, Brown, Tatum, and, and Porzingis. And I think, you know, really trying to figure out the best rotation for this team and maybe you know what other what other moves do they make you know I think at this point the boat has probably passed in terms of trading Brogdon you know I don't think that he's going to be moved you know I think that all the things that have been said I think since the you know failed trade or whatever it is that it kind of leads you to believe that he'll be back in kind of that same sixth man role and was pretty good at it. You know, I know that recency bias can be uh, a difficult thing that, you know, the last thing that people see is kind of what sticks in their brain. And I think the last thing that people saw was Brogdon not being the same player in the second round in the conference finals because of that arm injury. And I think some people seem to think that he's not a good player, which is false. He's the sixth man of the year. He's a really good player. And I think, you know, yes, maybe makes a little bit, maybe makes a little bit too much money for his role, but he's a really good player. And I think, you know, the Celtics are going to be, you know, hopefully relying on him to kind of be that same type of guy who can, who you can rely on off the bench uh, to score. Um, I think with, Derek White, you know, presumably being the team's starting point guard, you know, Brogdon's that guy that can step in, create some, or kind of uh, take some pressure off of uh, the, the, the main scorers on the team. So I don't know that I'm really looking for his role to change, or I think that he'll probably have a similar season to last year. Like, I think him in that role is really, really effective. I do have a lot of confidence in Derek White and his ability to, you know, move the ball and, you know, play with pace, especially down the stretch. So, 
you know, it's going to be a new, different team for the Celtics, but I think really it's very clear that it's Jalen and Jason's team, and it's really their opportunity uh, to kind of take that leadership role. And I think it's great that the Celtics brought in someone like Sam Cassell, who throughout his career has been a leader and is a guy that's won a couple times, won a couple championships, including here in Boston, and I think really is going to be that guy that's going to be able to push the guys in that huddle uh, to be able to get them going um, in games where maybe they're struggling or, you know, whatever it is. But um, I think it's going to be a good addition. I'm curious to see how else the Celtics figure out their roster. They did sign uh, Jay Scrub to a two-way contract. He was a member of the Summer League team. So, you know, curious about the roster spots. Uh, Blake Griffin, I don't think any word about whether he's going to come back or not. I think that that would be a good addition for them. So, you know, I think for Summer League, it was a pretty decent showing for the guys that, you know, I think really needed some seasoning and some games. You know, I'd be curious to see how Walsh and Davison and some of the young guys look um, in the preseason, but I think that's the next time we're going to be able to watch this team play. So really, unless there's any uh, major like off-season news, we probably won't be talking much about the Celtics uh, over the next couple of months with the preseason, I think starting at the end of September into early October. So that will be interesting to see how they you know, fill out the rest of their roster. So I think... We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Revolution, who are into kind of the all-star break, if you will. Um, they actually will not play an MLS game for about a month with the um, all-star break, all-star game, I think is coming up maybe this week. can't remember which day it might be. Um, I know it's a day this week. Um but then the Revolution will play in the brand new, or new in the last couple of years, the League's Cup. That is a tournament with the um, with all the other teams from the MLS and the Mexican Professional League. Um, so it's, I believe, 47 total teams, three different groups, kind of be like a World Cup-like tournament, so the Reds will play a couple of group games in the next couple of days, Saturday against New York Red Bulls, and then Wednesday against a Atletico San Luis, which is the team from um, or team from the Mexican League in their little three-team group. So then how they do in that, or depending on how they do in that, they'll advance to the knockout stage. So the Revs going into the, uh, going into this extended break where they won't play an MLS game for a while uh, coming off a 4-0 uh, beatdown of DC United Saturday at Gillette I was lucky enough to be there uh, with our friend of the program John Veneziano who will come back, come back uh, for Guest Friday later this week um, so Revs uh, completely dominating this game getting a couple goals at the end of the first half Gustavo Bo getting it started, and then Ian Harks 
getting actually a couple goals in this game. He came over uh, from the Scottish League a couple of weeks ago. This was his second second game for the or second start for the Revolution. Got a couple of really nice goals, um, and so I think just a, a seamless addition. Really, I think you know Harks is not really a guy that I think a lot of people are expecting to be much of a goal scorer. But you know if he can help every so often with with goals here and there, I think that that just you know, makes this team even more deep um, in, in kind of the, the attacking area. Um, you know, Carlos Hill, Gustavo Bo are the guys that really, I think, make it work. And it was fantastic to see them link up for a goal uh, to open the scoring um, in this game. And I think just, it's just a joy to be able to watch the two of them. I really think that ever since they've, ever since they started playing together, whatever it was a couple of years ago, it's really been just have that connection. It's really fun to watch the both of them, but I think getting any guys that can score some goals consistently is really going to help this team and make this team become really, really dangerous. You know, they've been getting great, you know, first two-thirds of the season, whatever it is, uh, with Bobby Woods. He's peppered in some goals. Brioni has started to figure it out with some goals recently. Um, but I think this team is just a lot deeper uh, than what they were last year. I think specifically in the attacking thirds, they have so many different guys who can beat you. And I think some guys getting opportunities has been fun to see. Uh, Ryan Spaulding has played the last couple of games. They're really nice, uh, really nice chance in the second half against BC. We just missed wide, but I think getting someone like that in the lineup is really helping. Um, just kind of give you some different en energy, you know, bringing in some of the young guys. But I think that this team is really figuring it out at the perfect time. Second place in the East. Yes, still uh, eight points back of FC Cincinnati, but uh, the Revs are really, I think, figuring it out after a little bit of a slide a couple of weeks ago. This is a team that is still undefeated at home. Um, and I think really just playing some great, some great soccer and, you know, a team that I think really could get you excited the rest of the season. They just have 11 games to go, but obviously this will be quite an extended break for this team. Um, August 20th, they will return to MLS action against Nashville SC on the road and they actually will open the month of August with two road games against Nashville and Montreal before they return home to play the New York Red Bulls. So I think I'll probably do it for the Revs. Their first League's Cup game um, is, to, is this Saturday 7.30 on the road against the New York Red Bulls. So that will start that competition. And I think, yeah, I think that probably does it for the Revs. Move on and briefly talk a little bit about the Bruins. Some news over the last week. Uh, Bruins yesterday coming to an agreement with three restricted free agents. Riley Walsh, who came over in the, I think it was in a trade that involved Shane Bowers, who was briefly with the Bruins 
organization never played for the Bo- never played for Boston. Um, and then they also came to terms with Alec Regula, who's a defenseman that came over in the Taylor Hall trade from Chicago. And they also signed goaltender Michael DiPietro, who is a goaltender in the system. May see him in Providence this year. So the Bruins also signed some contracts to different guys over the week. Ian Mitchell and the Bruins came over. Or Ian Mitchell agreeing to a one-year deal. He came over in the uh, trade with the Blackhawks for Felino and Hall. So he avoided arbitration with a one-year deal. Bruins also agreeing to terms with Mark McLaughlin on a one-year deal. Um, and then the Bruins also bringing in Jesper Boquist uh, on a one-year contract. Played uh, 70 games for the Devils last year with uh, 10 goals, 11 assists, 21 points. Um, and I think a fairly solid addition. I don't think that there's a whole lot of expectation for for Boquist, but I do think that he's a guy that could absolutely start the season on the third or fourth line and be a pretty solid player. You know, he is 24, still pretty young, um, has some scoring pop. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if at one point they sell the Celtics, uh, the Bruins, the Bruins maybe tried him on a second line with, with Zaka and Pasternak. Maybe they do that. Um, in the preseason, you know, be interesting to see what he can bring to the team. Um, but I do think that he actually has a pretty legitimate chance to make the roster. But again, just a one-year deal for the league minimum. So Bruins just kind of seeing what he can do as a guy that can play all forward positions. If I'm not mistaken, might have to double check with that. Um, and so, you know, with all these additions, the Bruins only have uh, two restricted free agents that are remaining. Um, yeah, Bocos can play all three forward positions, which I think Bruins like. Bruins like that uh, flexibility, so it'll be interesting to see where he can slot in. But uh, Frederick and Swayman remain the only uh, restricted free agents. The Bruins have to sign both of them arbitration eligible, so the Bruins hoping they can come to terms with those two guys before their hearing comes out. Bruins typically are not a team that lets guys go to arbitration. So Bruins should be able to work out deals for both of those guys. Bruins, though, do not have a whole lot of, whole lot of cap space with $5.4 million left to you know two players. And possibly, if there's a Bergeron and or Krejci return, Bruins probably have to keep some some money left over to see what their decision is. Uh, there was a rumor, I think, last week that Bergeron has been seen like working out or skating or something like that, so might lead you to believe that he is coming back. I do kind of seem to believe that he will return. You know, Krejci, I'm a little less, less convinced um, about him. Um, but I think that if Bergeron does return, you know, there's a pretty solid lineup that I think you could feel pretty good about if he doesn't return, you know, probably some more questions, you know, who's going to be that number one center, number one center. Do the Bruins get aggressive and try to trade for someone? Or are they going to be comfortable going into the season with, you know, Coyle and Zaka being those top two centers, assuming that that's the case. Um, I also did want to address, there was a rumor that came out, I think it was last night, uh, that the Bruins and Islanders may have an interest in doing a Jake DeBrusque for J.G. Pajot. 
Um, not sure if that makes a whole lot of sense from the Bruins' perspective. Um, you know, the Islanders probably would like someone like DeBrusque who can score goals, but I don't know. I don't think that that really makes a whole lot of sense. Pajot's 30 years old, making $5 million. DeBrusque, you know, yeah, probably is going to be looking for a long-term deal, but I think, you know, you need as many goal scorers as you can get. Um, and this is a team that I think, being in the position that they're in right now, they need all the scores that they can get. And Pajot, you know, still is a decent player, but isn't really much of a goal scorer. You know, DeBrusque is a guy who I think most likely is going to start the season on your first line. And I think with the year that he had last year, he's fully healthy and can play close to a full 82. There's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be scoring 30 goals at least. So I just think trading for someone like Pajot is a little bit redundant uh, for what they already have. Um, you know, the Bruins' needs at center are well-known, but I don't think that that's really a realistic trade um, that they could make. Um, but I don't know if that rumor is, like, legitimate or not, but I figured that it was something maybe I could talk about uh, since there's not too much Bruins stuff to talk about other than you know, Swayman and Frederick being those restricted free agents still. So hopefully Bruins can come to agreements with both of those guys, you know, and then figure out uh, Bergeron and Krejci and then, you know, go for it from there. So I think that that's going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to move on to some other notes from around uh, sports, starting with Major League Baseball. The Angels' Shohei Otani hit his 35th home run last night. The Yankees' Josh Donaldson is uncertain um, of his return after an MRI on his calf. Um, and I think, I'll look at some standings here. As we said, the Red Sox uh, in fourth place currently. Um, eight games back of Tampa Bay for first place in the American League East. Tampa Bay does have a one-game lead over Baltimore at the moment. So Tampa Bay has uh, had a little bit of a slide recently, so Baltimore is right there nipping at their heels. Just one game back in the American League Central. Minnesota leads the division by a game and a half over Cleveland. Texas leads Houston by three and a half games for the lead in the American League West. In the wild card, Baltimore, Toronto, and Houston Uh, are the top three wildcard teams, with the Red Sox being a game and a half back, the Yankees two and a half, and Seattle four and a half. So Red Sox are, are right there, eight and two in their last ten. Um, so we'll see if they can get any closer. We'll take a look at the National League. So Atlanta, who the Red Sox will see at Fenway next week, are... Uh, destroying everyone. They actually have the best record in baseball at 61 and 31. They are 10 games in front of second place Miami in the National League East and the National League Central. Brewers lead by two games over the Reds. And in the West, the Dodgers lead by two games over the Giants. Red Sox will play the Giants um, in a week and a half in San Francisco. National League wildcard. If San Francisco, Arizona, and Miami 
in three wildcard spots with Philadelphia a half game back and Cincinnati two games back. So we're going to take a look at some NFL stuff. Uh, some big news yesterday. There were, um, I think, I think it was a deadline for contract extensions yesterday. So no deals for, um, oh, I think it was the deadline for players that get franchise tagged to like come up with a new contract. So no new contracts for Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard for the Giants, Raiders, and Cowboys, respectively. Um, it does sound like Pollard will play under that franchise tag. I think less clear for the other two guys, who I think it's possible could see a bit of a holdout for them. This is something to keep your eye on there. Uh, the Jaguars did agree with Evan Ingram on a three-year deal, so he had been franchised. Um, but they came to an agreement yesterday. And the rankings for, I think, Madden came out uh, yesterday or a couple days ago. So Aaron Donald is has the best Madden rating for the seventh time, which I guess is a record. Don't really want to spend too much time talking about video games. Um, but yeah, we'll pay attention as teams start to report to training camp over the next uh, week. Or so Patriots are reporting, or I think first session that's open to the public is next Wednesday. I think the dates might be this weekend and next week for official dates to report. So definitely keep your eye on that. We'll get over to the NBA. Not much uh, traction being made on the Damian Lillard trade. Is He's made it very clear that he wants to go to the Heat, but doesn't sound like that trade is going to be completed anytime soon. A couple of free agent signings, Darius Baisley signing a one-year deal with the Nets, the Suns, um, adding Bull Bull to their roster, traded uh, campaign to the Spurs for a couple of picks. And the Cavaliers, uh, with a 6-0 record winning uh, the Summer League Championship last night, beating the Rockets 99-78. Cam Whitmore for the Rockets was named Summer League MVP after having a really good Summer League. Rockets were a pretty interesting team to watch during Summer League with a lot of young players, so it'll be curious to see how that team does in the uh, regular season. So I think to close it out, we'll get to some NHL thoughts. Connor Bedard, the number one overall pick by the Blackhawks, signed his three-year entry-level deal, so probably we'll see him uh, opening night uh, for the Bruins-Blackhawks. That's the uh, first game of the season at TD Garden, so that will be very interesting to see Taylor Hall. Nick Foligno will also be returning to the Garden, so should be an interesting, uh, should be pretty interesting night. Uh, Ross Colton and the Avalanche agreed to a four-year deal. Um, they avoid arbitration and a couple free agent deals for guys avoiding arbitration. Oliver Wallstrom with the Islanders, Tanner Janot with the Lightning, and Matthias Michelli with the Coyotes. So I think, I think it's probably going to do it for me. Maybe a little bit short this week, but you know, hey, it's a dog days of summer and there's not a whole lot to get to, but glad we could get to the uh, stuff that we wanted to get to. So as always, 
you know, listen to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, follow the social pages on Twitter and Facebook. I will be back with you folks later this week for Guest Friday, so uh, stay tuned for that and have a good uh, rest of your week. We'll talk to you on Friday.